This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Broadcasting live on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and in the evening on WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk. It's the Matt McNeil Show for your Thursday. Matt and Patrick here today, kind enough to join us to start off the show with the Supreme Court. (laughs) I think the official term for it. Cliff Schechter is kind enough to join us today. The Blue Amp channel on YouTube is sensational. Do you want to be smarter? Well, then go watch Cliff's videos there. They're absolutely fantastic. Uh, the Blue Amp channel, which is uh, YouTube backslash C Schechter. You'll find it there. I'll link to all this a little bit later on. Hey, Cliff, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing well, my friend. Uh, the, the, I did, how much of the, well, we didn't watch it, but you heard some of it, uh, of the Supreme Court hearing on Trump's appeal of the Colorado ballot removal. Did you catch most of that? I caught some of it. I actually was, 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 you know, doing another show. That sounds so obnoxious, but a friend of mine <laughs> show that I was on. So I, I didn't hear all of it. I want to get you guys together at some point. Tony Michaels, he swears a lot. It'll be fun. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you should probably go on his show. It's just on, on YouTube. In any case, um, he, <laughs> he's from Missouri too. So he's like us from the, the, the greater middle part of the country. And, um, but I, you know, I think I can quote, uh, a friend of mine and somebody you're probably familiar, you may know him too. In fact, Norm Ornstein, brilliant sort of uh, scholar of yeah. Congress, who I believe his quote was, Neil Gorsuch is a pompous arse. Well, he didn't say arse, but I don't know if I can say the other word, so I'll say that. Um, and uh, I mean, this was, you know, like, yeah, I listen. Yeah, I pay attention. But I mean, if I watched the... If I watched the old Washington uh, generals, I knew they weren't going to win. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't matter what the law is. The law, I'm not a lawyer, but I think I understand Section 3, you know, Article 3, you know, or, or Section 3, whatever, of the 40th Amendment quite well, which is, it, it's pretty simple. I mean, insurrection, you're leading leading a, a coup. You're leading a, a, a the charge in a battle against your country. The founders thought about, I mean, you know, thought about this early on later after the Civil War when we had an actual, you know, I don't know, Civil War, Revolution. <laughs> it, it made sense to pass it. Sorry, my phone just went off. Um, and so the, the fact of the matter is, is that we've had these Shays Rebellion, Whiskey Rebellion, yeah. all these things in our, in our past. And if you took part in these kinds of episodes, a number of senators, five, six, were, were expelled from uh, the Senate for refusing to accept Abraham Lincoln as president when he was elected. I mean, these are just th- this is the way a country that's a democracy operates. So I know by the law, there's no way Donald Trump should be on the ballot. Yeah. But I will say two things quickly. Sure. One is, honestly, I want him on the ballot because I want to destroy the stain of Trumpism. I feel it's necessary if we are going to get past this as a country that he not just lose, but we destroy him. 
We win those 43% of Nikki Haley voters who said that they would not vote for Trump and people like that. And, and you know, so that's one. Uh, two is, <laughs> I mean, the Supreme Court's hilarious. I mean, would oh. you look at these six people and ever believe this? the collection of people there, uh, Alito, they're taking free flights, you know, Thomas, who basically lives off of billionaire, uh, the kindness of strangers or friends, if you will. I mean, you know, Brett Kavanaugh, who is everybody's favorite blackout drunk in college. I mean, who... Who on this of this group of esteemed scholars uh, and and, uh, and otherwise bribed people would you think would would actually give one damn about the law? I don't believe for a second any of them do. So it's it's predetermined. I have no I have no sort of doubt. I know what they're going to do. The one of the things we should not also skip past the point that the design is that the states decide who's on their ballots. That's why we don't have federal elections. We basically have 50 yep. separate elections, and then we pick from that. And that's how it's decided. Uh, that's the Electoral College. And that's kind of a basic tenant of the elections. And they kind of they kind of want to just skip past that point. And that's not a little point to skip past. I mean, if they rule for Trump, we're kind of started down a, a path to the federalization of the, the the election, which some people even on the left would might be okay. That's we probably need to do that, but it it is a change from how we have done things because right now the law is on Colorado and Maine side that basically they they don't want someone on the ballot they don't have to. And you brought up Lincoln, the, all the southern states did not even have Lincoln on the ballot. I think maybe one did had Lincoln on the ballot, but they didn't even have Lincoln on the ballot back then. So you can't, I mean, this is not exactly new. This is something that's happened before. Well, and, and again, your analysis, I think, is mostly correct, but I do think you're you're forgetting one important thing, and you're forgetting it for a good reason. You're forgetting the, the that beautiful, brilliant Bush v. Gore decision where yes. they're like, no precedent. It doesn't count. It's just this time. Never use it again. I mean, <laughs> you know, what, what did they do with Bush v. Gore? They overturned. If Florida had kept counting those votes, as we now know, as the Florida Supreme Court ruled they should be able to, Gore would have won the election. I mean, by t at least 20,000 plus votes, because those analyses were done by newspapers later on. They shut it down. They shut it down on equal right. I mean, this court, Scalia, deciding in favor of equal that Bush's equal rights were being were being uh, violated. I mean, that was the cherry on the Sunday of what a joke it was. It was a so they've been making these decisions now. I mean, they're always like states' rights, except for when we say it's not states' rights, except for when we can ban abortion nationally. States' rights, except for when we can tell you that everybody has the right to concealed carry, even though that doesn't say it in the Constitution. States' rights, except for we can ban gay marriage nationally. They're just a bunch of hypocritical liars. They're full of crap. You know, they're full of more crap than a barn house. They're not honest people. So there's no reason to believe that anything they say. They don't believe in, there are actual conservatives who do believe that we should have some state and local rights. And there are good reasons for that at times that people on the more local level understand certain issues better. Of course, the South abused that to say they understood the issues of whether humans should be free uh, better. And we, so the federal government has stepped in also because it's had to at times, because it had yeah. to in Little Rock, Arkansas for a high school. And it had to in, in Alabama, you know, for the University of Alabama. I mean, we've had to do this. So, I mean, that that isn't the tyranny here. The tyranny here is this group of six jokers who are in the bag already bought off by billionaires uh, are, are, are going to decide in favor of Trump because they're always going to decide in favor of Trump. The best moment today, hands down. Now, you mentioned Justice R.V., in Clarence Thomas. I, I'll go with Justice Five Star, uh, which is Alito. And 
Alito literally pulling, well, uh, literally having, you've seen Ghostbusters too, where Bill Murray on the stand has to start telling Rick Moranis's lawyer what to say. And there literally was a moment today where Alito's like, well, what you really meant to say was this, right? And we're like, oh my God. We're below Alina Haba level now. <laughs> yeah, like, we're is. no longer even, I think we were at single A. We're now in the independent league. I, I don't know where the hell we are. From, I mean, <laughs> like, you know, I'm super, soon their lawyers will be a couple of kids they find at a local kindergarten. They'll give them crayons and they'll scribble on the floor what they think Trump's argument should be. Uh, he won't pay them either, by the way, just like the rest of us. <laughs> oh, the yeah. But I, I mean, again, you know, we're this is the Supreme Court. Everybody forgets this. And they want, you know, they sit here and and rightfully Trump has opened a Pandora's box. He's brought out the worst in everybody. You, of course, said it best. We put that on my YouTube channel. If you played it here in your 40 minute rant on what Trump has done. And he's he's brought together the collection of the worst people so that you have to be terrible when you run as a Republican to be elected. Well, you yeah. know what? You have to be terrible when you're a Republican judge. For them to keep you there, otherwise they'll find a way to kick you off. I mean, they st remember when the, they they started an impeach David Souter movement, a guy that was a Republican put on by George H. W. Bush. Uh, that, I mean, they're crazy. And again, Trump may have opened the Pandora's box. He may have made it worse. But before he ever got there in 2014, 15, Mitch McConnell would not allow us to, to replace Scalia when he died a full year before an election. Before that, there was the Tea Party movement. Before that, there was Sarah Palin. You know, before that, Newt Gingrich took over from Bob Michael, this moderate, reasonable Republican from Illinois, to head the House. And I think, to me, that's patient zero of where the clown show all began. Mm -hmm. And not just right-wingers, but right-wing grifters, religious nuts, liars, you know, greed hounds, and all of them took over the Republican Party. It's just been getting worse and worse as that group has grown. And they've chased out the last few remaining sort of decent people, or at least people with any moral compass. I'm not a big fan of, at all or even a fan of Mitt Romney's, but I'll admit when he does the right thing, he certainly stood up and had courage that first impeachment when no other Republicans would. But guess what? He's gone now. He's yeah. leaving. You know, and, I mean, not now, but he will be in six, nine months or whatever. I mean, they, there's no decency left among them. So why would the Supreme Court, who's bought off by a group of billionaires, who's bought off by a Texas billionaire who literally keeps a, a signed copy of Mein Kampf by his bed, I mean, why would would they come to a decision that, that Trump is not able to be on the ballot? Like, I will, I don't know. Should I say it? I think I'll jump off my roof here if they decide in favor uh, uh, against Trump. That's well, how sure I am. We'll make sure it's a big snowfall day. We'll make sure okay. that's yeah, Sounds fair. Thomas did not recuse himself. He clearly should have. All right, I'm actually going to surprise you a little bit. There was one argument, at least one path it seemed like the Supreme Court justices were going down and why... A lot of people, Sotomayor was the one that I think they think is definitely going to be, no, Trump needs to stay off. But I think the other eight might go and keep Trump on the ballot for this one reason. They just don't want to every election cycle have to deal with 500 cases because and I, I think the implication was this is not so much, you know, um, a, a, you know, a case of Colorado or Maine. But it's Texas, it's Mississippi, it's Alabama, right. where the Democrats are going to put in their paperwork and they're going to say, you're an insurrectionist, you're off the ballot. And and that's and then it's going to have to be a lawsuit that goes up there every time. You know, very specifically, they didn't really talk that much about whether Trump was an insurrectionist. And I think that they're going to steer clear of trying to make any kind of uh, definitive statement about what happened on January 6th in regards to Trump. But I think what they're saying is that if we set this precedent 
you know, for at least for them, the Supreme Court, it's going to be a case where at least for the next 20 years, every election cycle, there's maybe 500 cases of, you know, does this person go on the ballot? Does this person go on the ballot? And I mean, I think that they're trying to stem this off before it becomes more work than they can handle. Well, look, I respect where you're coming from on this, but mm. my, my feeling is this is what the right does. And essentially it, what the right does in the end uh, is they win by threats and intimidation. I mean, you know, I mean, this is extortion. I mean, that's in the end what it is. So because we know that they're going to, to, to you know, sign 500 baseless lawsuits, I mean, maybe the response to that should be if anybody who brings a baseless lawsuit should be fined and any lawyer willing to do it should lose their law license. Yeah. Maybe that's a way to solve it. Maybe another way to solve all of this is to do what we should do anyhow beyond the fact that they've they've packed this court full of right wing trolls and, and realize that we haven't added to the Supreme Court in something like 150 years. And the country has grown like eight, nine, 10 times uh, its size since then. So they accept less than 1% of the cases. So beyond even liberal and conservative politics, like they can't do the job. There shouldn't be nine justices. If there are nine justices and there are 30 or 40 million people in the country, there should, I mean, I've heard people say there should be 13. There really should be like 21, maybe more. And there should be, I mean, there should be a panel of a group of justices so they can take on enough cases so we can deal with this, but that doesn't have anything to do with this. Yeah. I mean, again, I, uh, last thing I'll, oh, I, we have well, to go to, we go to the break. When I come on back, we'll, I'll let you finish that. And we'll talk a little bit about the rest of the chaos the GOP has been through for this week. Cliff Schechter, kind enough to join us today. The Blue Amp channel on YouTube. Let's take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show. It's the Matt McNeil Show on your Thursday. Cliff Schechter, kind enough to join us this half hour to talk about uh, politics and uh, things going on. I'll let you finish. What were you? Uh, what were your point was making here before we went into the break there? Gee, I'm not even sure I remember. Um, <laughs> I, think I, I think I was pretty worked <laughs> up about the Supreme Court. Um, Republicans and, and suck. Okay, I think we got a, we got a, we got a, our, our main issue. What'd you say? I'm sorry. Republicans suck. <laughs> Republicans suck. Uh, they, they don't believe in democracy. They don't really hear to democracy. I think the, the point I was making overall is if we in any way, we often will sort of endorse the idea of we can't do this because it sets a bad precedent because we know they're going to misbehave. And that's like sitting there and letting and saying, well, we shouldn't arrest that guy for, for robbing the liquor store because it, it may piss him off. You know, and then he may do it again. Uh, the Republicans are always going to do this stuff again. And so all 500 of, you know, cases they bring, well, you know, find a way to deal with that. Add to the Supreme Court. Add the number of, of staffers that you have there that have to go through this crap and punish people that bring yeah. frivolous, you know, lawsuits. I mean, I, you know, you can't sort of. And again, this is where a lot of Democrats have changed. A lot of Democrats have gotten more in a fighting stance, the new newer generation. And I'm so happy to see it. Yeah. And the Biden campaign is doing a great job of it. But still, Sotomayor, Katanji Brown Jackson sometimes will do it too, which is good. Those two. But some of the others on, you know, on the court, I mean, you know, Kagan, I like, but is often like, oh, we don't want to cause too much trouble. Seems to be her stance. That was Breyer's stance. Yeah. yeah. If the other side are cheating, you do want to cause trouble. I'm sorry. But friendships don't come before democracy. 
It's just that simple. Nuance has no place there. You have to, you, you, you know, we're, we're looking for decisiveness, and that's the, the key. Uh, should we get one of those fruit baskets for uh, Speaker Johnson? Because, boy, he's had a, he's had a rough week. <laughs> oh, I put together the most fun video at my channel that I just so enjoyed doing all about. <laughs> it should have just been called, Hello, Mike. It's me, God, or you know, something of that nature. <laughs> but I did actually go into how, how, you know, and again, this isn't to insult people who believe in reasonable meditating, believing in a higher power religion, mm-hmm. more people that think that God is telling them they're Moses. I, I have news for you. Like if the guy said that aliens told him he was Moses, we probably would put him in a sanitarium. Uh, but somehow he says it's God who's talking to him. And if God was talking to him, wow, I think God punked him is would, would be my answer because he didn't part the Red Sea. He did part the Republican caucus, though. That was nicely done. And uh, they lost. And he, and then he lost on the Israel bill. I mean, you do know that he lost more bills in one night than Nancy Pelosi did in the whole last term? Wow. <laughs> he's, I, mean, uh, I didn't realize Moses looked at his son's porn history. Anyway, uh, I just... No, I, Moses, I, <laughs> it's, it's little known, and it was made out of stone, and I it think was. they had to use an abacus or something, but he had a porn monitor on his son's <laughs> tablet, and it really was an actual tablet. Oh, um, so that, that, I mean... <laughs> That's what I mean. How do you even talk about these people? The other day, Marjorie Taylor Greene is talking about, and she's talking about, well, we can't let the, the, the you know, the people into our porches of entry. We have porches of entry now. We don't have ports of entry. They're porches where apparently you sit down, you get in a rocking chair, and then you, you, you come into the country. I, I mean, how do you deal with morons like this, with religious zealots and idiots and, and you know, Karens like her? I mean... I, I just the, the the people they're not sending us their best, Matt. They're just not. Well, and it's it's one of those things. It's Trump is the the catalyst, as I mentioned on that video. It's it's Trump is the catalyst here. Yes. And as long as he can hold together this cohesive group of the deplorables, that th- this is where they're at. The good news is is that the court did rule that the appeals court and that DC appeals ruling was pretty airtight. Yeah. No, you can't be the president of the United States and have absolute immunity. That's just you can't be in charge of the mm-hmm. laws. And then basically be able to break them left and right. That's just they'd not they'd not come to that decision. We should just give up on democracy. <laughs> yes, I, mean, I agree. Just, I mean, I, you see, the thing is, and you were a hundred percent right in that video, did it? But as I was trying to say with Gingrich and Palin and these people that along the way, you know, if you've got a strong immune system, you you're, you're going to be okay against a lot of viruses. But if for thirty years that immune system has been weakened by one con man and woman after another. One self-enriching, you know, one religious zealot, one, you know, complete crackpot. I mean, they had somebody on TV as early as 2010 having to tell us that she wasn't really, didn't really think she was a witch. Do you remember that? Yes. I mean, this has been going on for a while now. This, I mean, and and they've been getting stupider and stupider and more zealous about their, their insane religion. Uh, you know, they, they spend their time attacking extremists uh, in the Muslim religion, and somehow they don't see the, the the similarity of the rights of women and other things that they want to take away that the people they're attacking want to take away, right? Uh, I mean, I, I just, I, I've just, uh, you know, what do you say? I, I don't, I mean, I, I kind of run out of, it's the same words over and over again. I have to find new metaphors for the word stupid to describe these people. They, they, they can't run the house. They're, they're clearly ill-equipped to, to, I mean, I, I don't know that that most of them, you know, could handle a cinnabon. 
like, um, you know, our good friend Saul did. It, I don't know. If you didn't watch Better Call Saul, you may not get that one. But, you know, it, I mean, the, they're going to run the, the House of Representatives. They don't know what the hell they're doing. They don't know what they believe in. They know what they're against, which is everything they're jealous of, everything they resent, you know, anything modern, essentially, um, which means not white, straight, male. I mean, they, they're against everything, but they don't have a program. They have a set of policies. And then guess what? They demand these changes on what we do around the border. Democrats for like the fifth time in the last 15 years met with them, came up with a bipartisan proposal, just like they've done so many times in the past. And like so many times in the past, Republicans couldn't take yes for an answer because that's who they are. Yeah. The and, and you see the 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 downfall of even guys like McConnell, who were, you know, 20 years ago, one of the more one of the more far right guys there. And now he's not nearly far right enough. What was it? One no. of the senators said he would he want to kick him like a dog yesterday or today. Today was, was from the tennis. thing to be saying about other senators. Yeah. Right? That what are you doing? Violence. I mean, that's the thing. I don't know who said that, but I could probably guess. Tills. I, I, I think Till was it with the guy from Tennessee. Who's that? Senator. Oh, uh, the, the, Tillis. I don't even remember the guy's name. There's yeah. Marsha Blackburn and that other idiot was elected more recently. The guy, I can't remember who it is, but, but that's a classic example, right? Because they had Lamar Alexander who again became like our Senator here, Rob Portman was somebody who was moderate ish and became an absolute coward when it came to Trump, refused to impeach, refused to, to do anything, enabled all the worst people. But Lamar Alexander, you could say at least had some decency somewhere to him. And then he gets he gets replaced by this complete idiot. And that's been the story. Right. I mean, who do we think is going to replace Mitt Romney from Utah? Somebody a lot closer to Mike Lee. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's what we're getting. You know, I mean, it just is a it's a, it's just a continual spiral downward. Uh, and so, I, I mean, I really hope enough of American people look at all of this. And again, some of those numbers those exit polls, which are the only kind I trust anymore because they're actual humans who are walking out from having voted you know, who said things like that, 43% who said they would have Nikki Haley voters who said they'd vote for Biden over Trump, like the one third who said they wouldn't, of Republicans who said they wouldn't vote for Trump if he ended up being convicted, which I promise you he will of at least one thing. Well, then, you know, maybe we'll, we, we, there'll be such an overwhelming butt kicking like we had in the 1930s and the 1860s in these past periods of time when the nuts have sort of, you know, the, the barbarians have gotten to the gate and we needed a complete reset yeah. by kicking them all out. Well, that's where we are. And and that's indeed where we are. And we, it, yeah, we definitely need to clean out this mess. And that's, it is getting worse and worse. And until, until we, as you said at the beginning, knock Trump down, this is going to go on. So we got to do that this year. Cliff Schechter, once again, the Blue Amp YouTube channel. Cliff, my show's better with you on it. Thank you much, sir. Thanks, buddy. Always a pleasure. Take a break. Come back. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Broadcasting on the evening here at WCPT 820 Chicago's Progressive Talk and in the afternoons in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show for your thir- for your Thursday here. Uh, Schechter is just absolutely top notch here. Uh, great stuff. Obviously, we'll spotlight that interview coming up here a little bit later on. I also uh, do want to remind people that coming up, well, coming up here in the Four o'clock hour up in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Jeffrey Hatcher, he's the adapter for Dial-In for Murder over at the Guthrie Theater. We're going to talk with him uh, about adapting that play, kind of updating it for the time, but still keeping it in the original time, which is really cool. 
um, as well as also um, it's Listener Appreciation Month continuing next hour. We have a pair of tickets to give away for the Listener Appreciation event coming up here next week. Patrick, how are we today? Uh, doing just fine. How are you? I'm okay. I am, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things I'm, I am I went and saw Mamma Mia last night. It's Now, I should say, this is the National Touring Company, and they're in Minneapolis this week. Chicago, they're going to be, later on this year, they're going to be at the Nederlander Theater in Chicago. Uh, go catch it. It is, it's, it's a very entertaining show. That's for sure. Uh, have you ever seen, the? I mean, obviously Meryl Streep did the movie, um, and it, very popular here. Did you ever see the original Broadway musical? Did not know. It's, it was interesting. It's my wife and I are driving home. It's, it's a very, it's kind of different experience than going to a traditional Broadway musical. Now, by no means is this, this is not a criticism. It's fun. It is a lot of fun to go watch this show. Go see it. It's, it's, it's good times. It is a ton of fun. And the, 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 the uh, two singers who sing as the mother and Sophie, the daughter, are sensational. Absolutely stunningly. The, 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 the girl that plays Sophie, holy God, is she good. Um, just really solid. Uh, so you go see it if you get the chance. You see it in Minneapolis this week. You can go to sh- see it in Chicago coming up here in a few weeks. I think it's two months here coming in April up in Chicago. There are traditional musicals, uh, Guys and Dolls, uh, Fiddler on the Roof, Grease, stuff like this, where the entire concept is written for the stage, by the stage. It's an original concept for the st- to the stage, and that's that. You get musicals like The Producers, Spamalot, Beetlejuice, where you have the story is familiar, okay, but the music is brand new. They've had to write songs because, you know, Beetlejuice was never a musical when it first came out as a movie. The producers, uh, the, the classic producers was never a musical and they had to write all the songs for it. Uh, same thing goes for Spamalot, uh, you know, and, and, you know, just brilliant. All of them are very brilliant and very good. That is, I, you know, and like I said, I want to be careful because I do not want to give anyone the impression this is a negative by any means. That's not what what uh, Mamma Mia is. Mamma Mia is you know all the songs. It's it's a little bit like Girl from the North Country, a little bit where that's the the musical uh, in regards to um, to to the the Bob Dylan musical that they they put out there. You know the music, the music you know. It's just they fit a story to the music, and that's a different kind of thing. And and it's and it's it's kind of one of those things where it doesn't take anything away. As a matter of fact, the 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 excitement, the, 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 the energy, the joy, it's, it's a good time. Mamma Mia is a good time. But it is interesting that this is kind of the thing that we're doing now. It's, we're, we're trying to get certain artists to the stage. And we talked about uh, they're going to debut up here, it sounds like, in the 2025 season. Um, the Hennepin Theater Trust up in Minneapolis is going to debut the Purple Rain musical with Prince before it heads to Broadway. Uh, they, you know, obviously with Prince's songs, I should say, uh, with Prince's songs in it and all that. Now, that's even gets into another step because my guess is going to be not only do you have the story from the original Purple Rain, uh, but then you you also have, uh, you know, you, all the songs <laughs> as well. So it's basically a direct transfer and uh, uh, on that level. You know, kind of, I guess that would be a little bit more like Lion King, I guess, is that, that case where you, you've got a, 
you know, in that case of the animated movie where you had the songs and you had all the story and that just got transferred over to the stage. That's kind of the same thing here. It's going to be a staging of it. Um, good luck with that, by the way. The closest we've ever gotten to anything close to Prince is Bruno Mars. And last I checked, Bruno Mars still doesn't play guitar nearly as proficiently as, as Prince did. So, yeah, good luck with that. Uh, but no, go see Mamma Mia. It, it's good fun there. But it is an interesting um, it, it, interesting kind of thing to think about. And it is, it, it, it's also interesting to watch Broadway singers sing pop music. Because there, that's two different types of singing. That's two different types of singing. And the, the, the cast there does pull it off very well. But, it, you know, that is, that's pure pop, 1970s pop from ABBA. And it's, it's very different than when you go see, in my mind, a traditional musical. Not bad, not worse, just different. All right, go see it. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Um, I had an interesting comment made in response to the Gina Carrera uh, story that we talked about. Now, uh, uh, the, the, if you don't, you weren't listening to uh, the show yesterday, um, there is a, an actress who she, uh, Gina Carano, who is, was, was part of, she was in Deadpool, uh, the first Deadpool movie. She was very entertaining in that. She was in, um, as well, the Mandalorian TV series, the wildly popular Star Wars TV series, The Mandalorian, with uh, Pedro Pascal on Disney+. And she was on the show for the first two seasons, and as a matter of fact, played a major role in uh, one of the storylines there. Well, she decided she wanted to go full MAGA and said some incredibly insensitive things on social media. Disney basically said, you know, we, we, you know, we would like for you to meet with some groups and go through some basically standard HR training. She refused. And they tried again. They said, oh, no, we'd like for you to meet with the head of Lucas, Lucas uh, Arts and, and uh, Lucas Films and, and basically sit down and talk with them and some of these leaders and understand where, you know, where you, you're wrong on this. She refused again. They basically fired her. Now, there is this real interesting question on whether or not she was technically fired or they just did not renew her contract. Because if they just didn't renew her contract, that becomes a much more difficult thing for her to prove. But I don't even think she's got a case even if they fired her. Because Disney is a private business. And freedom of speech does not mean you have the right to walk into a corporation as an employee, turn on the PA system, and start screaming about how much you hate certain people and everyone has to like it. And so, you know, and this is a reminder, this is Elon Musk who's furious with Disney Corporation because, you know, when his his little Twitter verse became, you know, a, you know, a, a, a salute to to Nazi-esque type of language and a, you know, more of a troll farm than, you know, a video game for God's sakes. The, the reality is, is that you know that many companies, including Disney, pulled their advertising, and you know it's 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 been brutal for for Twitter in regards to their their chance of making any money. And so he is Elon Musk and his god awful truck, by the way. Apparently, and just more more reviews. Apparently, it rusts. It starts rusting on the second day. Did you hear about that? 
Oh, I saw the one that uh, it can't drive in the snow. It's oh, yeah. Like it's get... a truck, and it can't drive in the snow. Apparently, they did not put a, a coating on it, and it's starting to rust almost immediately after delivery. Almost immediately after delivery. Wow. Anyway, he's he's fuming about that, but he's going after Bob Iger. He's funding this lawsuit for Gina Carano to go after Disney. And I, you know, when we talked to Cliff and we talked about you know this this world of deplorables, the fact that Trump in the video I talked about that he, we were talking about is where I point out what Trump did is what no one thought was possible. He took the worst of humanity and molded them into a voting block. And that is who is running the Republican Party right now. All of this, all of this, I'm going to kick Mitch McConnell like he's a dog. All the, you know, someone needs to code red, um, you know, you know, a, a Republican who tried to work with the Democrats. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene's insanity, Lauren Boebert's insanity. All of this comes from people who are trying their hardest to appeal to that demented, twisted, demonic voting block that Trump has, you know, he's, you know, the, you know, the, the, the playing the flute and the snakes come after him. And they are, they are a viable force. No one really has ever been able to do this, at least not anytime recently in this country. Yet Trump has. One of the things that's an offshoot of all this is that clearly you've taken people who in the 1980s used to be, if you wanted to be openly racist, an open Nazi, an open KKK member, you were doing it on a compound out in the middle of nowhere in Montana, in Michigan, in the Dakotas, someplace where no one was seeing you because we as a society said, that's not cool. And it isn't. It isn't, it isn't right, and there, and there are going to be consequences for you. At the very least, everyone's going to know you're a horrible Nazi or a KKK member or just a disgusting human being, whatever the case may be. And through, I think, social media and, and, and embol- being emboldened by the right, these people honestly do feel as if they have a right and a, a, a purpose to be in everyone's face now. And the, one of the comments I got, and by the way, Threads is blowing freaking up. I have over 100, 1,100 likes on this, this, this story I posted on this one. One of the comments I got back was, well, who should care what, it's, what they do in their private time? And I, and I, I want to say we all should care. It's not like this person has a basement in their house which no one goes into where they've got, say, Nazi flags. Now, I'm not saying that Gina Carano is a Nazi, but I'm just using this as an example of this person who's making this response to this post. Why does a business have a right to basically judge somebody for their comments and actions in a, in a public venue when they're not at work? Well, because their public comments, if, if you're, if you're, you know, and, and here's the problem, what you want is you want the notoriety. You want the public awareness of who you are. You just don't want any consequences for it. 
like I was saying, you can have some Nazi dude in his basement with Hitler pictures and Nazi flags and all this, and no one ever goes down there. And, you know, th- that that is one thing. We're not talking like, oh, the gas company came into his house because there was a reported gas leak. They had to go look at the meter and they ended up going down into this room and in this room in the basement, which no one sees, he has all of his Nazi gear here. And then he got fired because that would be an interesting question. I mean, here was a person that wasn't being very public with his things. You know, what's the case there? Now, I'm I'm not going to be honest with you. I'm not exactly going to jump to the pro-Nazi side, but that is the way things used to be. That used to be you there. There was some level of shame to these people and they don't have it anymore. And so and, and this goes back to what I was talking about the other day as well in regards to, you know, Carano and the beginning of that conversation where she's part of this group of people that wants to be able to scream, I don't think, you know, no one, I, I don't, I'm not going to get vaccinated. I'm not going to wear a mask, but yet I should still be allowed to go back into a public office building and work. And my right to get everybody else sick supersedes their right to not get sick. And that is a amazingly disturbing trend in these people that this this emboldened right that 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 they basically feel as if they have the right to say and do anything in society publicly in your face and then when you say i'm sorry that's not going to work you're violating my rights no no you're the one that decided to be public with your stupidity don't be angry at the fact that we as a society look and say, you know what? No, you go be stupid on your own. Don't be bothering us. And you shouldn't be expecting your businesses, your company, your employer to basically give you carte blanche for your actions outside the office. You just shouldn't. We'll take a break. Come back. It's the Matt McNeil show. the Matt McNeil show here on your Thursday. I hope you're having a good one. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Patrick, I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Who are you picking for the Super Bowl? I actually like San Francisco this weekend. It's not even really uh I haven't even sat down and analyzed it. I just kind of have a gut feeling about You've, it. You have made Taylor Swift cry. How dare you, Patrick? Well, if she is listening, hey, how you doing? Uh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Retweet us, Taylor. I love you, Tay-Tay. Are we sure it's my pick, or is it the red eyes between Tokyo and Vegas? Well, No, she's. She, I don't think she ever sleeps, my goodness. Um, at some point, does she take a nap? I mean, every time I see her, she's just a bundle of joy with that big old smile, man. I, 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 I'm addicted to her. I think she's fantastic. Uh Let's see. Uh, you know, so what's what's your score and how many points by San Francisco by how many? Uh, I'll go twenty eight twenty four. Twenty eight twenty four. Oh, not much. Oh, uh, I'm gonna go uh, twenty four twenty Kansas City, and I just say it for this reason. You know, once you 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 once you start winning Super Bowls, you know how to start win, you know, keep winning them, and that's the Tom Brady effect. You you figure out ways to win those games, and you know, it's if I have to put my faith in either Patrick Mahomes or Purdy, I'm putting it with Mahomes. 
So 24-20, I think it's going to be a good game. But I also said that about the the uh, Rams Patriots game, and that was what, what was like nine zero or something. Like that. <laughs> so it was, there were two entries for the most boring Super Bowls of my <sighs> lifetime. Lifetime. There was the Pittsburgh Seattle one, and then there was that one. Yeah, that was not a good entertaining one. Uh, I I will I'm I, I'll be there too. I got my I I'm sorry until you come up with something better. I'm not gonna I'm gonna go with it. Velveeta and Rotel, man. God, that's good. That is just it's 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 deceptively tasty. Absolutely, and Velveeta is a wonder condiment. I know people kind of like it's this kind of cheesy kind of thing, but it, it makes things so much better. I whenever I unwrap a Velveeta, the first thing I think of is like it's an it looks like an alien creature from a nineteen fifties movie. You know, it's like oh no, don't touch it. You'll vaporize. It'll eat your hand. Oh, but little did we know. You mix that with little tomatoes, put that in the microwave. Delicious with some dips. Uh, what? Anything else particularly you're going to have on the, the uh, Super Bowl? I'm still working on the menu, to be honest, but we'll see. Rubens, man. I always do Rubens. Here's my, my, my greatest pet peeve. All right, Rubens are a simple thing. They are a simple thing. Yes, I know. This is a political talk show. I know. In, in, enlighten me with, with, with the Ruben talk. Uh, the, it's, it's a five ingredient recipe, uh, sauerkraut, corned beef, uh, Swiss cheese, thousand Island dressing and pumpernickel bread. Can I get someone to make some pumpernickel bread with some thickness to the slice? I mean, Pepperidge farm, what are you using a laser cutter on that damn thing? Was it two (laughs) molecules wide? It does not hold up when you want to make a sandwich or you're picking it up. Try to put, just try to butter it rips right apart. No, no, no. I'm, I'm gonna have. I'm gonna go buy a loaf of good pumpernickel bread, and I'm gonna thick cut that sucker. And so prepare for for rye madness. That's I think what it's gonna be. You know, which, which is apparently uh, rye whiskey madness was what took out most of Belgium at one point. But needless to say, it, it's it. it you know, for me, it's a, a more of a bread based thing. If I can go off on this tangent, what do you feel about coleslaw on a Reuben? Commie. Uh, (laughs) um it's okay it depends on the coleslaw it's like any ingredient i mean what i like about a reuben is reuben is a pretty you know if you got a good cut of corned beef you got some good pumpernickel bread the rest of it's going to take care of itself but if you put cruddy coleslaw on there it's and don't you know drain it off a little bit there don't ladle on like it's it's you know au jus you know give me give me a little less than sopping wet how about that i'm gonna watch this in front of a tv i don't want to wear half of it so there you go food talk uh speaking of uh, things that are intolerable like the the thickness of pumpernickel bread tulsi gabbard uh yeah you didn't see that one coming that's what you call a right turn literally (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh hey tulsi gabbard's weighed in with her quote unquote neutral thought process here during an appearance on fox news on wednesday tulsi said she'd be open to being donald trump's 2024 running mate oh please 
I'd be open to that conversation, Gabbard said on Fox and Friends. My mission in life is to serve our country and serve the American people and find the best way to be able to do that. Have you thought about leaving? Uh, you know, I think I think the American people would be served greatly by you. I don't know. Going back to Mother Russia, you traitor. Uh, but that's just me. That's just me. <laughs> I'm sure you got a return ticket. Uh, Gabbard, who was asked to respond to a comment from economist Stephen Moore, who said that many Trump supporters want Gabbard as Trump's vice president. Are you sure about that? I don't think they do. Uh, I think that that's uh, Stephen Moore trying to get a date. I don't know. I mean, I just, dude, that's, they're sucking up and then they're sucking up. And that's more in that second category because I haven't heard any Trump supporter talk about, you know who I really want? Tulsi Gabbard. No. I mean, they want Beelzebub. I mean, they want some sort of, you know, um, you know, have you ever seen um, Hellraiser? You know, when they open up the box and, and, and the creatures come on out, they want one of them. I mean, that's really kind of your final four there. I think three of them are actually serving in Congress uh, for Texas. But, I mean, it's just they want something like that as, uh, you know, <laughs> as a running mate. You know, there are certain people who fall out of the news cycle and you kind of completely forget they exist. And then they come back and you're like, why are you back? Well, I mean, Demi Gorgon. I mean, if you really want a vice presidential candidate, Demi Gorgon's really where you're, 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 you're pound for pound. You're going to get a better value than, than Tulsi Gabbard. Newsweek points out Trump has yet to announce his pick for running mate. I called Tim Scott this week. A lot of people like Tim Scott. I called him. I said, you're a much better candidate for me than, uh, than you are for yourself, Trump said. Christy Noam has been incredibly fighting for me. So, no, it's not you going to be Tulsi. Uh, Tulsi, does anyone think she was actually at any point ever a Democrat? She never was. She That was that was a psyops. I mean, that's the Americans. I mean, for God's sakes. Manchurian candidate? No, you, you didn't need a code word. It's like, hey, just tell me when you want me to do what you want me to do. I'll be over by the buffet. I mean, that's basically all there was going on there. VP Demi Gorgon. Yeah, that's on brand. Uh, Hey, Chicago, have a good one. We will talk to you tomorrow. Minneapolis-St. Paul Hour 2 up next. (music) Hour number two of the show here on your Thursday. Matt, Patrick, Patrick, one second here. I I got this message here on Facebook. It looks like half of it's written in Malaysian. Trademark infringement report. Dear Progressive Citizen Show X, uh, Citizen X, the Matt McNeil Show, we've received a trademark infringement report regarding your platform details. Click on this link. All right, 10-4. This should take a few minutes. Your prompt attention to this matter is crucial to prevent your further action. Please be- thank you for your cooperation. Best trademark team. Trademark misspelled, by the way. Um, uh, so I just think all I have to do here is it looks like I enter my social security number and I have to pay them in Ruby Tuesday's gift cards. Uh, and I, I should be all fine. Only valid at remaining Ruby Tuesday's <laughs> location, of course. <laughs> How many I brought, I didn't know. I forgot about that. Uh, TGI Friday's gift cards. That's what it is. There's the bit. Uh, there you go. No, uh, yeah, I don't think that's real. I, I mean, I'm no, I'm no crime whiz here, but you know, I, I don't think they're being honest with me considering that's the 15th one I've had today. 952-946-6205-952-946-6205. Uh, internet rumors are true. Apparently Minneapolis has reprogrammed crosswalk signals at four different intersections to give pedestrians extra time to cross the street. If you know the cheat code. Okay. 
at the intersections of University and Malcolm Avenues. Hold the crosswalk button for five seconds while waiting for the walk signal. When I tried it, I got an extra 15 seconds to cross. The city has big goals to encourage more people to ditch cars in favor of walking, biking, or transit, but people with mobility challenges can have a tougher time getting across the busy streets. There are no signs at Malcolm University hitting at the cheat code. Minneapolis Department of Public Works made the change to the Malcolm intersection at the request of senior living community on the corner, said city spokesperson Sarah McKenzie. The city figures that the people who requested the change already know about it, so no need for signage. Uh, they're still evaluating what type of operation to see if it would be valuable elsewhere. Here's the deal. Can I just say this? Just program the damn crosswalk to go that full length of time. Aren't you really kind of hoping nothing goes bad? I mean, okay. You have determined it is a good idea for that intersection to have an extra 15 seconds of walk time. Great. I'm all for it. I don't want anyone hitting an elderly person trying to cross the street. Someone who's, uh, you know, in a wheelchair, by all means, give them the time. Fine. Fine. No one, you don't have to create a, you know, if you if you find Mario and eat the mushroom, guess what? You get an extra 15 minutes. I don't need the cheat codes, dude. Just change the crosswalk. Because all of a sudden you get some elderly person who all of a sudden forgets they were supposed to hold the button down for 15 seconds. And then they get hit, and guess what? Then the question happens, well, if you knew that elderly people needed to have an extra 15 minutes, why didn't you just make it to where the crosswalk was an extra, or 15 seconds, 15, not 15 minutes, 15 seconds. Why didn't you make the crosswalk where it was 15 seconds longer? Why? Seems to me that you're just inviting the lawsuit at this point. Yee, 952-946-6205. Not in yee, a good thing. Uh, we are, of course, uh, here in Listener Appreciation Month right here on AM 950. It's always a pleasure to, to have you guys listening. Uh, you guys keep us alive, and that's something that we've learned, especially through the pandemic. We are incredibly grateful for you guys, and so thank you. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you very much for everyone out there that's helping out. So we've created a month for you, an entire month of ways for you to be able to receive thank yous from us. We've got all sorts of giveaways, uh, you know, shows, restaurants. We've got a big grand prize we're going to be talking about here before too long. Uh, and so these are just things that you can, can get as thank yous, and uh, it's our way of saying thank you to you. And so uh, we have coming up on Tuesday a uh, meet and greet. We're going to do a live meet and greet from six to eight o'clock uh, over at Park Tavern. And to get into that, uh, you you'll have to win a, a pair of tickets. With this hour, we will have a uh, time for you to call in. Just, be, just call when we say, "Not right now, not right now, no, no." Mm-hmm. Uh, when we tell you to call, call in and be caller number five. And you'll win yourself uh, a pair of passes to join us at the meet and greet. Not only myself, but it sounds like Robert Pilot will be there. Uh, Bakken, great native uh, from uh, Ghostbox Radio, they'll be there as well. So, yeah, the, the, the crew's going to be there. We'd love to see you out there. Selfies and, and just good conversation. We're looking forward to that. So uh, look forward to seeing you out there uh, if you are a winner. Now, you got that. We got stuff all next week, the week after. That's just tons of stuff to give away for Listener Appreciation Month. And you can enter in. If you don't want to call in, that's perfectly fine. There's a lot of other ways for you to participate, too. Go to the AM 950 Radio Facebook page. Like the page. Like and comment on the posts on the page. Everyone that does will be entered in. We'll be giving away more stuff there. 
The newsletter is another way. Just go to am950radio.com, sign up for that newsletter, and not only will that get you entered in, but there's other ways as well. Through the newsletter, you can find out how you can win stuff with Listener Appreciation Month here at AM950. Thank you once again from the bottom of our hearts. It is an absolute privilege to be working with you and for you and to be with you. You guys are my friends. I appreciate that. 952-946-6205. Some good news, some really good news, although I do have some questions on whether this is going to get through, particularly that Senate where you got the one vote uh, majority. Last summer, the Department of Natural Resources asked the legislature whether certain high-impact mining practices in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area watershed were compatible with preserving and protecting the wilderness area as required by state and federal law. This week, a pair of DFL lawmakers introduced a bill with an emphatic answer, no. The bill, co-sponsored by Kelly Morrison for the DFL from Deep Haven and Representative Sandra Feist, DFL from New Brighton, would ban four specific copper sulfide practices in the Rainy River Headwaters watershed. So once again, these are the ones that are just environmentally devastating. These are things that are environmentally devastating. And when I, I'll never forget when Governor Dayton, when, when he was in office, him doing his due diligence and going to sites where this type of mining had happened and seeing the environmental damage that had been left behind and doing the research and finding out that no, there hasn't been any you know, improvements in this kind of in mining and it is still an environmental catastrophe. And it's, it, it, you know, you know, what it's not a surprise to you that the people that want to do this stuff are basically foreign mining companies that don't care about the Boundary Waters Canoe Area, could care less about Minnesota. They don't care. They want the, they want the minerals out of the ground and they will leave a massive crater of destruction behind just so they can get their profit margins where they want to be. You do not matter. And to everyone up on the Iron Range, because my family's from the Iron Range, every one of you up there, you're fools. You are absolute fools to sit there and think that a Chilean or a Chinese or a Canadian or a Swiss mining company has your best interests at heart. They do not care about you. And if it basically meant them getting an extra one cent per share on their stock prices, they would poison every piece of land and water around you. As you sit there and say, isn't this great? No, not for you. It's them for them because they got absolute fools to go along with this. Here are the four types of mining that would be banned by this bill. The above-ground storage of waste tailings, either as a wet slurry held back by a dam or a dry pile. I will tell you right now, my lake, there, my family's cabin's at, um, across the, the tree line, there is holding pens for tailings. And so far, there hasn't been any environmental disasters that have, have caused us to have uh, a catastrophe in the lake, thank God. But I'm not going to lie to you, the lake changes color. And my dad always said when, you know, they said that he never used to do that growing up. He said he never used to do that until they expanded out their, their, their holding pits. And all of a sudden you got, you know, it changing color every once in a while. 
this, that is nothing. <laughs> that's that, that's taconite mining. That's not this type of, you know, creating a toxic plume of destruction if it goes into the water, or the land, or the air. So this would ban the above-ground storage of waste tailings, either as a wet slurry held back by a dry dam or a dry pile. The and one of the reasons why you can't do that is because if it starts raining on it, they actually they have actual areas where they'll they'll leave it as a dry pile and it rains on it and it just it, you know it leaches off the bad stuff right into the ground. The above-ground storage of waste rock, which can contain toxic metals, same thing. You can't, you know, if it rains on it, guess what? All those toxic metals go right into the ground. Heap leaching, L-E-A-C-H-I-N-G, which involves spraying chemical solutions over piles of rock to separate metals from ore. Jeez, that sounds freaking terrifying. That that would be something that's done out in nature. Holy God. That'd be like having a car battery dumping site, for God's sakes. What do you, yikes. Spraying chemical solutions over piles of rocks to separate metals. Wow. And then the smelting, which involves heating ore to a high temperature to extract minerals from it. Because there you get to the air. The bill would be a crucial piece of legislation to protect the boundary waters by banning the riskiest practices associated with the sulfide ore ore, copper mining, said Ingrid Lyons, the executive director of the Northeastern Minnesota Minnesotans for Wilderness, in a statement. The bill is narrow in scope than legislation, legislation induced by the same lawmakers last year which would have completely banned copper sulfide mining in the Boundary Waters watershed. But at a press conference, Morrison said the net effect of the new bill would be the same. Absent the invention of new technology, called per sulfur mining was proposed by companies like Twin Metals could not be done without these four practices. Sponsors hope to be the narrow focus will help the bill draw more support in the closely divided House and the Senate, given the DNR suggested that these proposals were needed. I think it does improve our chances. Morrison said she noted that historically Minnesotan laws, Minnesota laws are written to govern iron and taconite mining, not copper sulfide mining. Minnesota uh, mining companies and their allies at the state house have argued that minerals like copper are essential for the transition of cleaner energy sources needed to cut carbon emissions. And and the only trade-off is we have to just poison out the entire Boundary Waters canoe area. See, you got got an electric car now, but you can't drive it up to the Boundary Waters because it's toxic up there. If you touch it, it's going to kill you. But still, you got a car. I'm paraphrasing the argument. How about I say it like that? The mill, new bill is disconnected from this. Is their this is their 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 talking points? The new bill is disconnected from the common sense reality of what it takes to reach Minnesota and the United States carbon-free energy goals," said Julie Lucas, the executive director of Mining Minnesota, in a statement. We not only need the minerals to produce the new energy sources, but to do it in a way that protects the communities and the environment. Bull crap! There is no way for you to do that. That's what this bill is calling out. Every method you have of extracting these metals from those rocks leaves a toxic, you know, a blight across the earth. And whereas you can sit there and pithily insist that annihilating the Boundary Waters canoe area is a small price to pay for an electric car, the people that want the electric cars are saying, no, no, it's not. No, it's not. And that should tell you everything like that. The the people, the big industry guys who are so pro, you know, carbon fuel based vehicles, all of a sudden, them all of a sudden trying to, hey, look at me, I'm a hippie now. Who doesn't like green energy? They're disingenuous beyond disingenuous. 
Electric car makers and other manufacturers are continually looking for ways to reduce their need for copper, which has taken a bite out of the global demand. And supporters of the bill say the consequences of allowing copper sulfur mining near the boundary waters would be catastrophic and irreversible. Don't worry. I mean, there is, if this ever gets started, there will be a day where, well, we got some bad news here. And, uh, you know, let's not play the blame game here. Let's, let, let's not point fingers. But uh, you remember when we said there's no way in the world we're going to poison the boundary waters canoe area? Well, Boundary Waters Canoe Area has been poisoned. Sorry. Uh, you know, hey, the, the international mining company has left because they don't want to clean up the mess. Uh, uh, but now the, the taxpayers of Minnesota need to do it. That's what's going to happen. That's what's... It's what's going to happen, you numbskulls. Uh, they get minerals out of this particular ore body. The rock would be brought to the, the surface, and once it's exposed to the air, the water, it leaches heavy acid akin to a battery acid. It would drain directly in the BWCA and change it forever. And once it's gone, we can't get it back. Yeah. But don't worry, international mining conglomerate share prices, they thank you for the sacrifice of the entire northern part of Minnesota. You know, minor. And the same people who are sitting there screaming about, you need to let this go, will be the same exact people saying, how could you let them do this? I'm going to just eliminate the middleman here. Let's not do it. Let's just not do it. For all you people who sit there and say, oh, well, this is no big deal. Fine. Let's do this right next to your property. Well, I didn't say that. No, 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 no. Is it fine for it? Is it fine to do this or not fine to do this? If it's fine to do it, let's do it right next to your property, next to your lake where you go fishing and you go swimming. Let's find your area. We'll do it right there. And you can basically tell us how great it is to have all these toxic metals leaking into the ground. I will go back to what I have said from the get-go. There is one simple, easy way to prevent this mining from ever taking place in Minnesota. You write a bill that says not only is the local front company responsible for any poisoning, but the International Mining Corporation that owns and fronts that company is also forever responsible for cleaning up the environmental damage that that mine does. And if you put it in such ironclad terms... They will never in a million years try to mine here because what their whole goal is to do this. They want to go on out there. They know they're going to poison the land. They know they're going to poison the water. They'll front the company, let them take the fall when they run away. But if you put it out there where if Antifagasta, the large Chilean mining corporation, has to, from if they were the company that was fronting that mine from day one, they are forever responsible for cleanup of any environmental you know damage done by said mine they'll just okay we're not going to mine in minnesota they'll go someplace else and we're done here now let me ask you something is that really that far of a bridge to cross here saying hey, okay fine you can mine here but you are as the parent company of the local face of this party you are responsible for cleaning up any environmental damage that happens here that your front company can't cover. 
they would never sign the bill. They would never even, they wouldn't grab a shovel. They would, they would steer clear of Minnesota forever and ever. And the fact that we already know that should tell you everything about whether or not we should allow these companies in to do that. They already know they're going to poison the land. They just don't want to pay for it. That being said, it's just too much of a risk. It's too much of a risk. Shut it down. Never let it happen. Let's maybe, just maybe, we can preserve the Boundary Waters canoe area for more than just, you know, 50, 60 years. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Let's take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. It is the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. By the way, the adapter for Dial-M for Murder over at the Guthrie, Jeffrey Hatcher, is going to join us here in just about 10 minutes or so. The uh, child tax credit, uh, nearly 300,000 Minnesota families can receive up to $1,750 per child in the new tax credits this year, the highest tax child credit in the country. Now, I want to make sure we, we need to really praise this. This is very solid what the DFL did on top of, by the way, did you see the story uh, that came out yesterday where, uh, you, know, you know, the attorney general, uh, Keith Ellison basically announced that uh, they're going to be able to cap insulin charges at $35. God, talk about taking care of the people. The crazy part is, and I thought about with the insulin story, the crazy part is there are going to be people whose lives are undeniably benefited by Keith Ellison and the work that they've done who are going to sit there and say, what are those Democrats ever done to me? Now give them my cheaper insulin. <laughs> Seriously, that's going to be part of the deal. Back to the child tax credit, which is, once again, this is the highest child tax credit in the country. On Monday, Governor Walls joined state leaders to boost awareness about the tax credit, which DFLers tout could cut poverty to Minnesota by a third by helping families financially. That's how we get to reducing childhood poverty in Minnesota by a third. Wall said if this works right by the end of the year, Minnesota should have the lowest childhood poverty rates in the entire country. The legislature approved the permanent child tax credit last year. It will cost the state an estimated $400 million a year. To receive the tax credit, families file have to file a 2023 income tax return. The $1,750 credit is for each child 17 years and old and younger with no limit to the number of children. The credit phases out for Minnesotans whose income is more than $29,500 or $35,000 for married joint filers, but the credit doesn't taper out completely until about $95,000 in income for families of four. Now, I want to just make sure I say this, that, um, you know, that, you know, I'm, I'm, if I get anything, it's not going to be a lot out of this. I think it's a fantastic deal. There's just too many times where people are like, hey, this is not going to benefit me. What's the value? I'm because A, you're getting cutting child poverty, but B, what you're really doing is putting money into people's hands that are going to spend that money in the local economy. We have only every time we have that, we have an economy where we have the the middle and lower class with disposable income ready to buy things. The economy goes crazy. Do you know when the economy shudders? When the only people that have disposable income are the super wealthy. That's when there isn't really a lot of economy. And and that kind of matches. If you take a look at conservative versus more progressive policies in regards to economics over the last 200 years, 
there's an undeniable benefit to making sure the middle and lower class have, you know, it, you know, extra spending money. And this child tax credit is a great way to do it. Um, Commissioner of the Minnesota Department of Revenue, Todd Marquardt, said he encourages taxpayers to see if they qualify the credit through the tax forms at the Review Minnesota State. There's a website for that. I'll post a link up to the story a little bit later on. This is real money that's going to provide stability for family, family said Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan. It's a win-win for the, it's a win-win-win. Oh, we're going to get the third one in there. Okay, Lieutenant Governor. It's a win-win-win in the short term for the families and in the long term for the state of Minnesota. The tax credit will be adjusted for inflation every year. Smart. Even Minnesota residents who aren't legally required to file taxes, including taxpayers under the age of 65 who make less than 13000 in income in 2023 or under 27650 for a married joint filers can receive the child tax credit if they file a tax return. In just one week of January, 48,000 taxpayers claimed their child tax credit already. And as a matter of fact, I've got an update on that one. This is, a, this is an email that came from the governor's office today. Uh, Governor Walls and uh, Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan today announced that nearly 90,000 Minnesotan children have already benefited the Minnesota's new child tax credit in just the first two weeks of the tax filing season. To date, 89,000 children have qualified for the credit with, credit with the families receiving an average credit of 1373 for a total of 11, uh, $116 million in tax credits. Governor Walls and Lieutenant Governor Flanagan today visited sites in Alexandria and Duluth offering free tax preparation assistance to encourage Minnesotans to file for the new tax, child tax credit. Millions of dollars are going back into the pockets of family through our new child tax credit to help with grocery bills, child care, and life expenses. I'm excited to see the benefits middle-class families are seeing from this legislation by giving families with kids a boost. We're helping families in the here and now. And I, once again, I got to give them a lot of credit. The fact that this is geared to such the lowest income earners is a real blessing. I mean, that is going to be instantaneously making, taking and making a difference in these people's lives. And God bless you for doing it. And if I can say this, Republicans, and I, I want to give Republicans to a point a little bit of credit here, because I think initially they were against this, but this has always been kind of the Republican thing. We're not going to give people money. We'll give them tax credits. And yeah, there were some people who were like, well, is it fair to give tax credits to the poor and not give them to the rich? Well, yeah, that's your standard Republicans going to Republican. How about we say it like that? But at the same time, a lot of them, I've talked to a lot of Republicans and they said they're not necessarily against this because of the need of the people that are getting it and how it's getting done. It's a tax credit. So they're not necessarily, I don't think they like it, but it's not nearly as toxic as they, they, they generally do get when it comes to stuff like this. So I'll give the little bit of a benefit there. So let's take a break. When we come back, Jeffrey Hatcher from the Dial-In for Murder over at the Guthrie, the adapter over there is going to join us to talk about that, uh, that play and his work on it. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It is the Matt McNeil Show. Uh, you heard me talk about this. I went and saw it this wet last weekend, Dial M for Murder over at the Guthrie Theater. Uh, I'll say this. It's one of the more enjoyable theater experiences you will ever have. It is sensational. And one little bit of a suggestion, if I can, for you. Do not read anything necessarily about it before you go because it's so well done. And it's fun. If you, I, I, I've never seen it. 
to go in there and not really know what it was about, to go and witness it, it was an absolute treat. Just wonderful. Kind enough to join us right now to about dial him for murder over the Guthrie is the adapter for the play. Jeffrey Hatcher is kind enough to join us to talk about his work on the play and putting it on at the Guthrie. Jeffrey, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Oh, no, it's great uh, great to be had. Well, you, of course, done many things over at the Guthrie. You've also worked on Broadway, uh, film and television. You've been writing there. Numerous awards you've won. Uh, if I can start for a lot of people out there, just what exactly is the role of an adapter when it comes to a play? Well, usually uh, it means that you're adapting from a different medium. You know, somebody might say, here's a novel, or here's a, you know, they've even done it with films. In this case, it's a play from the uh, early 1950s, and it's a very good play written by Frederick Knott. And in this case, the, uh, uh, the people who asked me to, to work on it said, is there a way that we can make it feel a bit more contemporary without changing the time period? Uh, is there something we can do in the women's roles that might give them a bit more to do? And uh, are there a few twists and turns that we can get into the show without upending any of the clockwork plotting? Because it's it's very much a uh, one of those crafted plays from that period that are all about the clues and the twists and the turns. And so you don't want to screw anything up when you're adapting something like that. Uh, I'm going to say this, and you, I don't. I hope I don't offend you by saying this. The changes you've made make this this play make Dialing for Murder insanely relatable even though it is still staged is what late early 60s late 50s early 60s when the staging is the mid 50s i mid, think it's fair mid 50s what you have done with your adaption with your slight changes which have have, have really resonate has made that it is so so relatable and and enjoyable and and understandable the what you have done with that well, thank you. I, I, I think we can give away one thing about uh, these changes, and that's that in the original play, the, um, there's an affair in the middle of all these murder plots. And it was a love affair between a man and a woman, as one might assume from that period. And the big switch here is that we decided that um, we'd switch one of the uh, characters, the man, to a woman. So it's an affair between two women. And it's amazing what it does just by altering that with one click. Uh, suddenly, fear becomes increased. Suspense, um, you know, the, the need to hide oneself from uh, the the glare of the society in which you live. And this is a very upper crust London couple. So, you know, what was at one point an affair that, of course, had to be covered. This is life and death stuff mm -hmm. uh, by altering that. And when you did that, I mean, that's one of the things which is just amazing. Is you've actually done something to where you've added more tension to a version because it resonates more now even though it's it's kind of kind of more of a modern theme the 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 impacts of that one change if you apply it to the mid 1950s you know you don't let that go by that this is this would be it, it goes from just a scandal to this would be sensationalized beyond sensationalized at that point oh yeah yeah we, the play was in uh, chicago recently uh, in a different production and the artistic director there shared a, a letter they got from a woman and from what i could glean the woman was probably in her 60s or 70s just, just the way she wrote about things it just felt like that was her um, yeah, yeah that, that her era was mid-century. 
And she said she'd been going to the theater for years and years, and she hadn't ever seen a play from this era that spoke to her. She was obviously lesbian, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and that this suddenly you know, had great impact. It's one thing if you're writing a new play about these subjects, and there are a lot of terrific plays about women loving women, men loving men, you know, uh, contemporary plays. But by inserting it into that world, a world that we, you know, think of like a, as a locked door, as a, as a closet that can't be opened, it suddenly, she said she saw her life on stage in a way that she hadn't imagined for the first time. And I was very moved by that because, you know, in one sense, we're still talking about a murder mystery thriller, um, you know, where people stab each other <laughs> and they're inspectors and all that sort of thing. Um, but it, it meant a lot to her, and so I'm extrapolating and imagining it that it must mean a lot to other people, too. Well, and it, and it, it, it basically is almost kind of doing a redo, being able to see something that would have would have helped and resonated back then, only now in a modern sense, because it is un, it is very 1950s. You do a magnificent job, that the entire production does, of staging this where it feels like you are looking at something in the 1950s. Yes, and I mean it was very important to keep that time period for for a lot of plot reasons. Yeah. I mean it's a world of of rotary telephones and uh, and real keys that turn locks, so you couldn't update it without losing all that uh, important stuff. But also, the, the it, it's a societal thing. I mean, we all enjoy going back into that world because it's comfort food, you know, it's yeah. cocktails and martinis and silver and all that. But at the same time. We know about the repression. We understand that now, um, and it it makes it much more much richer territory. Two other things about the adaptation. I know, and part of this is the staging and stuff. So it's other people as well involved in the presentation. But first thing, one thing you you, you mentioned in the the program guide. I, I read that that interview that you did, and that you know th- this is a play that was designed for more of a traditional stage. Uh, the, the the McGuire stage kind of thing. This this is now being right. though put out there on the thrust stage, which is you know for when you're looking at a theater production. Obviously, that changes. There's so many different dynamics that can change with that. As the adapter here, how did you ha- have to approach that? Well, that, that's really more the, ca- the 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 purview of the director, and in this case, Tracy Brigden, who directs the production brilliantly. She's an old friend of mine, and we worked very closely on this production. Um, I mean, she knows how to move people around the stage, but keep the focus precise, because prosceniums force you to look just at that one letterbox. But as you say, in the thrust, one of the worst things about a thrust is you're sitting in the house and you look across the stage and you say, hey, that's my dentist over there in row five. (laughs) And it's, it's very easy to become distracted by the littlest things. So you have to really orchestrate movement, uh, lighting. You have to, you know, actors have to know when to slow down so that another part of the stage can pop. It, it takes a lot of control. And, uh, you know, they, at a place like the Guthrie, on, uh, during the previews, different people from the staff would sit at different places and they'd report back to Tracy, well, you can't see him for these 10 seconds or somebody's walking in front of a, uh, somebody else during a key moment for these five seconds, and so then they have to recalibrate all that stuff. It's it's an amazing dance, and when it works well in, in a in a thrust, um, if she actually managed to make that thrust, which has eleven hundred seats, feel like a very intimate theater, which is you know kind of unbelievable. It it, it and she does. Tracy did a great job there. They, one of the things which is so impressive 
is it feels like you are sitting in the room watching this all unfold. And I mean, I think for whether the adapter, the stage direction, the, the director, the actors, if you can get the audience to where they're feeling like they're actually just there as a witness. I mean, then you, you, exactly. you kind of, you, and they, they pull it off. And it's so, it is, that is a really cool stage. I'll, I'll give you an, an odd little example. All of these actors are the kind of actors who don't need microphones. Um, I mean, they, they have great developed voices. But, you know, to work on a stage like that without a mic, you have to push a bit. And instead, Tracy said, let's mic them so they can reduce their volume to the kind of volume that you would overhear if you were sitting in the apartment next door. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so in, in effect, the audience doesn't know that they're mic'd. But it allows the audience to feel like they're overhearing scenes as opposed to having the stuff uh, broadcast at them, which, which is actually what we're doing by making them. So it's a very sly, very clever uh, design scheme, top to bottom, from the, the music and the sound effects to the gorgeous sets and costumes. It's, um, and, and it's a great use of that space. Jeffrey Hatcher joining us. Uh, he's the adapter for Dial M for Murder over at the Guthrie. Go get tickets. It's it's it plays till the end of February here. We want people to go get tickets. So I have to imagine is you're the adapter for this. That is, and I think this is the correct term to use. That is a tight script. That is a type story. Tight story. I imagine if you're adapting it that your room somewhat becomes like a conspiracy theory, you know, you know, quorum house where you basically have cards everywhere because of something you got to make sure you there's so many things you've got to keep track of. It's a great script. It's easy to follow for the, the viewer, but there's a lot in there and, you know, you kind of you're, you're kind of paying attention to it. Talk about that challenge because you're looking your base material is so, so well done originally to make sure that that is not lost. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of Frederick Knott. In addition to Dial on for Murder, he also wrote Wait Until Dark, which mm-hmm. I think most people know from the Audrey Hepburn, Alan Arkin movie. Um, and it took him seven years to write Dial on for Murder. Meticulous, slow, you know, blueprint work. Uh, for, for me, when you're handed something that good, it's a little like at the end of a Bond film when he's got to turn off the bomb and he's not sure which wire to pull. <laughs> You know, uh, so you have to go in there very surgically and say, well, this works and this works. Here we have a little air to spend. You know, can I try this plot move? And sometimes you try a plot move and you go, no, that's going to upend a bunch of things. So you have to cut it. Uh, But we were able to find a couple areas that say, yeah, I can do that and it won't change anything that Knott did. And it even complements something else. So it's very much uh, surgical work. But uh, if you get into that sort of thing, as I do, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It, it's, it becomes a puzzle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. very much so, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, your patient is there on the table, um, and there's nothing wrong with the patient. Uh, I suppose it's more like plastic surgery than it would be, <laughs> um, you know, like take the heart out and put a new lung in. But, um, yeah, it, if, 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 if murder mysteries and thrillers are your sort of thing, then this is a great joy. You know, it's uh, it's like being asked to to get under the hood of the best Aston Martin that was ever made. As an adapter, one of the things I think, which is kind of an important element of what you do, is there, the, the history is littered with plays and musicals and things that just disappear. That they 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 it might even be wildly popular for twenty years, and then after nineteen twenty, no one ever watched it again. 
And it, it, it's it's kind of one of the things that there's tons of that stuff out there. And as an, an adapter, what you kind of have done with Dial-In for Murder here is it's 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 insanely relevant. I mean, it, it's hard to kind of describe that. Like, it's a nineteen it's nineteen fifties. It's it's an older story. You haven't. It's not like uh, you've upgraded this into uh, you know how the Guthrie sometimes does with some of the Shakespeare and puts it in different time zones and stuff. No. But but it's it's it still is that. But by what you've done is you've made this to where for the next twenty thirty years people will still be able to go to this. And even though it's taking place in the 1950s, it still resonates there. I mean, that's the real talent here is you can take a, 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 a play or a, a piece of work that might be forgotten. And by updating it, I, I, I want to, I, once again, I don't want to upset you, make it a little bit better, maybe not since necessarily in a, in a literary sense, but in a, in a relatability sense. No, no, I, I know what you mean. And I'm, I'm, I'm I'm thrilled that it's getting so many productions and that people seem to be feeling the same thing that that you've just expressed. Yeah, I think, but it would only work, and and does only work because in the original there is a man who's gaslighting his wife, and there is uh, jealousy and male rage, and there is a love that's trying to struggle its way forward. It it required a little bit of excavating to make this adaptation. But it was always there. Mm-hmm. So what, what I think you can't do is try to, um, you know, uh, graft something onto something that was never meant to have it. Because then the, you know, to continue that, that surgical metaphor, then the, the body rejects the organ. Um, and in this case, because it was always embedded in Frederick Knott's original DNA, it, it was a lot easier to make it bloom and come out. It is like you said. It's the the humanity is there. The human emotions, the human feelings, those don't change over time. It's it's you know, and and I think you know, like you said, I, what was the term? Uh, cosmetic surgery. You know, it's, it's more cosmetic than anything else. I think you you've done a great job there. One last thing I do want to remind uh, ask you about here, just to, for elaborating for the audience. Uh, my wife goes into this, and she said, oh, "I love Agatha Christie." I said, "Well, I don't think this is like Agatha Christie, though." And it's not. There's a there's kind of the whodunits, and then there are thrillers. Describe the the kind of the difference between those. Sure, sure. Well, uh, with a whodunit, a murder mystery, the question is always who committed the murder. Mm-hmm. You know, who done it? Who's the killer? And that's usually revealed either right at the end or closest to the end. Uh, this is what they often call an inverted murder mystery. Uh, and the first examples of that date back to, say, the 1890s, uh, in which you know everything about the murder, you know who the killer is, and the tension and suspense is in you watching to see if it's going to work. Uh, is it going to be foiled? Is somebody else going to be killed? Uh, is there going to be a reversal? And the best example, probably for most contemporary audiences, is uh, Columbo. Uh, and even even more recently, that uh, show on uh, Peacock Poker Face, yeah, uh, in which you know there's usually the guest star of the week who's the murderer, and you watch the murder committed, and it seems to be perfect. And then oh, in comes Columbo to unravel it. So Dylan for Murder is like the the first gold standard Rolls Royce version of a great Columbo episode. Oh, I would agree with that. And and like I said, your work on it, it it you know didn't change it. It accentuated it. You know, you you got every bit of flavor out of that that you could, and you did a fantastic job. Uh, it is over at the Guthrie. I will say, I saw it. I mean, it was packed. I, I, I don't even know if there are tickets available. I know some people that have tried to go get rush seats and they can't get them. But if you can get tickets, go see it. Dial in for Mar- Murder over at the Guthrie Theater. It plays until Sunday, February 25th. Uh, 
Yep, 25th of Thebes. Yeah, yep. it's there then. Uh, Jeffrey, an absolutely an absolute privilege to uh, chat with you. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing some insights into your work and on this play. Uh, and all my best on this. Uh, congratulations on a great production. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Jeffrey Hatcher, the adapter for Dial M for Murder, kind enough to join us today. Hey, uh, one thing we got to do here before we go into break, I got a pair of tickets to give away to the Meet and Greet with AM 950 next Tuesday over at Park Tavern, 6 to 8 p.m. I got a pair of tickets to give away right now. Caller number 5, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Caller number 5, you get yourself a pair of tickets to the Meet and Greet with us at AM 950. Good luck on that. We'll come back, wrap up the show. It's the Matt McNeil. Show on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It is the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Patrick, who is our winner here of these meet and greet tickets? Uh, Judith from Edina. You've won tickets to our meet and greet Tuesday night. Ah, Judith from Edina. Congratulations. We got another pair to give away tomorrow. Guess what? We got stuff to give away all month long. So listen tomorrow. Go to the AM950 Facebook page, like it, like and post on the posts there. Go to am950radio.com, sign up for the newsletter. That will get you in for some things as well. It's our way of saying thank you. Uh, a quick update here on one of the stories we were following earlier this week. A Kellogg woman has now been charged alongside her twin sister. Now, this is this this story is kind of nuts, man. But uh, the, the drugged-out twin now has basically gotten her sister now into a point where she's now going to go to jail for a while. A Kellogg woman has now been charged alongside her twin sister after she attempted to take the fall for her sibling in a fatal crash involving an Amish buggy in September. Sarah Beth Peterson, 35, was charged on Wednesday with the crash that killed two in four of four children inside the buggy just before 8.30 a.m. on September 25th alongside County Road 1 in rural Stewartville. Her sister, Samantha Joe, also of Kellogg, was charged on Monday in Fillmore County District Court. Both sisters are charged with eight counts each of criminal vehicular homicide and criminal vehicular operation in the case. So basically, Samantha was, I think that the, the, the allegation is she was the driver. Sarah went to the scene to try to take the fall for it, but they've kind of figured out because these people are not exactly smart. The charges alleged that Samantha was driving under the influence when she crashed into the horse-drowned buggy on the road in the morning, killing buggy passengers Wilma Miller, 7, and Irma Miller, 11. According to the criminal complaint, Sarah Peterson allegedly told the police at the scene she'd been driving when she failed to see the buggy and struck it. That was the, So Samantha was the one that they believe actually was driving. Sarah got to the scene and claimed that she was driving. A recorder in the squad car allegedly captured a conversation between Sarah and Samantha, during which Sarah remarked, I, I think that one of the guys is on to me, but I really don't care, the complaint reads. Sarah also stated, there's no way they would ever know the difference between the two of us, so they can't tell, charges allege. <laughs> if only was someone was recording that. Oh, they oh, okay, never mind. Investigators spoke to the managers of the Hy-Vee store where the sisters were employed and learned Samantha had notified them the day of the crash, saying that she messed up and was under the influence of meth at the time of the crash. So Samantha, not only she, she apparently told her boss, which is called evidence. Uh, 
Yep, I'm guilty. And that was the sweet, sweet math. Holy God. One manager told investigators Samantha sounded hysterical, admitted she'd killed two Amish children in a crash while high. Sarah's daughter the next day spoke to a school social worker saying that her mom wasn't the one who was driving the crash. She feared she'd go home and find her mom and aunt gone, charges allege. So the daughter basically goes out there and realizes, I mean, hey, I get it. You know, siblings, stuff like that, twins. My wife is a twin. And there's a very tight bond, but come on. You know, because, you know, because Samantha is such a horrible, 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 horrible person, she's going to take down her twin sister with her at the same time. And so, you know, it just, yeah. Made Sarah come here and take the fall so she won't go to prison, Samantha texted. The complaint also details several alleged incidents searches made on Samantha's phone, including what happens if you get into an accident with an Amish buggy and kill two people. Yeah, okay. Wow. Wow. All right. Uh, That's the end of that. Uh, Native Roots Radio is up next. Uh, Have a good one. We are back on a Friday. Till then, see ya.